and welcome back for another episode on the Welcome Closer podcast. This is episode 89, just 11 episodes away from 100. So uh, I guess that'll be like a small, I don't know, mile marker or something. (laughs) I'm going to have to do something special for that 100th episode. Not sure what that's going to be, but I'll figure something out. Okay, today I want to specifically speak to something that is affecting Christians worldwide since this pandemic hit. Uh, Because once it hit, many, if um, not most church communities, they stopped meeting face-to-face and it has had an effect on people. Um, I mean, even just simply the decision to do this uh, had an effect on people because you had, you know, a side that was, you know, this is nuts, this is crazy, why are you allowing government or whoever to dictate what the church does? And then you had others who were like, yeah, we, we need to shut this down because uh, we don't know what we're dealing with and this is crazy. Uh, I've, I've got emails from people, not at my local church community, but people, um, you know, asking, please give me, give me scripture as to why you've closed <laughs> your church. It's like, uh, well, <laughs> we haven't closed our church. We're just not meeting in our building. Um, anyways, uh, lots of ways to think about this, lots of difficulties that come with this, a lot of the challenges that people face mentally and emotionally uh, to get to the point to where you make the decision to do this. Uh, even, you know, look, those haven't gone away, uh, especially when you, if you're considering, uh, you know, reopening, if you will, your building uh, and allowing people to come back in on some level or another here in the States, um, you know, especially in Texas from the very beginning almost, churches were considered essential. Now, I personally believe that was a political move, um, and uh, that, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, but then it was only until recently, I guess a month, two months ago or so, that uh, Trump said that uh, all churches are essential. And so what that does is it puts the ball in your court and you have to make the decisions as to um, how you're going to function and operate and a lot of the requirements, mandates, things of that nature, a lot of the things that are passed down by the governments, either local or you know, statewide at least, um, they don't apply to you in a lot of ways. In fact, they make statements in these mandates or these orders that basically say, you know, this is not applied to, or these are the exceptions. And so the ball's in your court, and you have to make the decisions um, <laughs> of what you're going to do. And then you're you're having to juggle um, the people involved um, in your local community, your churches, and how they feel about this, how they feel about what should be done or what shouldn't be done. And it's much easier when you're told, right, what you do, what to do, what not to do, when, when you have the freedom to choose and... You're choosing for people who are all over the spectrum and so what they believe should be done and, and you know how they feel about everything. This is not an easy place to be at all. It's just it's just not, okay? It's not an easy place to be for anyone, really. And there's you can't make a you 
you can't make a, a right decision or wrong decision. Like it's just it's <laughs> no one knows what they're doing. We're all trying to figure this out, right? So I want to talk about this closing of you know the the church community not meeting face to face and how it's affected people. Um, you know, because some people feel like the church just stopped and closed its doors and isn't doing anything. Um, and people, for lots of different reasons, just, you know, feel kind of lost. I guess maybe that's the right way to say it. I'm not sure. But okay, so it's been a few months since, you know, we have been able to come together as a church community where I'm at. And, you know, man, you think back before all this started, I, I was in, a, in the mode where I was preparing for the Easter season and what that was going to look like for us. And now I I feel like I'm constantly preparing myself for what changes are coming next. That, I mean, that, that's the reality of the world in which we live, right? Like shutting down and opening up and cutting back and opening up and shutting down. And, and I feel like this may be a normal part of our lives, you know, for the foreseeable future, at least for a bit. It could be. And of course, I could be wrong and, and things can change. But, you know, because... The reality is no one really knows, and people say, well, a vaccine might come, and, and it's funny because a lot of people are, are waiting on this vaccine, and then <laughs> comparing COVID to the flu, and I'm like, yeah, and how well do the vaccines work with, you know, the flu? So, ah, who knows? Anyways, we just don't know, and, you know, things are going to change, and I feel like this is a normal part of our lives, and of course... The reality is no one knows, and it's like we're all making the right decision and the wrong decision at the same time. At the same time. Um, it's what seems like the right thing to do at one moment, and but not long after that, it turns out to be the wrong decision, or it's the right decision you feel, you believe, but then there are people coming behind you saying it's the wrong decision, depending upon where they stand and how they feel. Everything is so political now. It's just... Uh, you know, it might seem like the easy thing to do right now would just be to, to go back to the way things were before. But the problem is that you can't. Because what allowed things to be the way they once were, it's they're no longer. You can't because things are not like they were before. And you can't make them be like they were before. The circumstances are different. And trying to go back is going to be really difficult if if not impossible. And this is not something we can just wait out. It is it is something we have to learn to navigate and quite frankly live with. And in fact, I would say we don't have time to wait it out. Like we must learn to adapt to new ways of seeing and doing things and we can we can do this by Keeping the focus and the emphasis on the why and not so much the how, because the how has to change. It has to be flexible. It has to be fluid. But it's interesting how much power, form, the how, right, can have over the purpose. Like the ritual tends to last longer after the reason has been forgotten, right? And there can be this immense attachment we can have to the how and in like in our church settings and church communities 
this, there's, there is this immense attachment we have to tradition. Right? We want so badly for all this to be over with. We want to remove every sign that this ever happened. And we want to just go back to doing things the way they used to be. And that's not a possibility right now. And we're trying to go back to this because we have the strong attachment to this tradition. And the and my question is, is this attachment to just the how or is it the why? Right? The traditions can seem to mean so much to us. But could it be the case that what they mean to us is not really connected to the why, to the original purpose behind it, like to the meaning, the deep, deep, deep meaning, like where all this sprouted from? You know, on, uh, and I say all this because a lot of people who just, they're, they're ready to get back to, you know, their church. And this is their words, not mine. Ready to get back to doing church the way that it used to be. And they have not really necessarily adapted uh, to the current circumstances or they've struggled. They haven't adapted well to it and, and you know, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm not saying that's a that's a wrong thing. It's just a reality. Uh, some people have adapted better than others, and that's that's just there's a lot of factors involved as to why that happens. Um, so this is a, this is an issue that I see. Is something that is a part of why we feel and are acting and responding or reacting really in the the way that we are with. Churches opening, reopening, not reopening, whatever it is. And I'm wondering if the core purpose, the why behind the things that we're missing, I'm wondering if that is missing. And I'm wondering if some people aren't just using the desire to come back to a local gathering, a church community, as a way of escaping or a way of uh, wiping away the reality uh, of well, our times um, because in some people wanting to come back together they're wanting to everything to be completely back to normal which is not a possibility at this point and my question is has the original purpose the why the meaning behind the things that we're longing for has that been lost why is it that we are really longing for these things that's my question and so the why on uh, on Sundays you know my family and I we've had some time to sit down and I have four daughters and we're all able to sit down together on Sundays and uh, for our time together as something that would take the place of what we had traditionally done on Sundays when we were gathering together and I absolutely loved it um, it, was, it was a beautiful thing for me even when there was a smaller group that began to meet outdoors in the parking lot of uh, the church that I work for, uh, that I attend, um, the church community, should I say, that uh, I'm a part of, uh, we didn't meet because 
what I was doing with my kids was immensely valuable. And it's not something that I, as a lead minister, get to do, get to participate in, get to experience with my family. And it, for me, that was definitely more valuable. And it was worth holding on to as long as I could. And, um, you know, besides what was happening in this church parking lot, well, it uh, wasn't something that was better for my kids than what we were doing. So it wasn't better for us. It was a beautiful thing for other people who needed that and who were able to do that. Um, but, you know, they, they just met together, coffee and donuts and so forth, and you bring your own things. And um, at a certain time, they would have... Um, Communion in the parking lot, which which is a great thing, great thing. People, you know, organize that. It's a beautiful thing. But for my time with my kids and my family and my wife on Sundays, we would sit down and my daughters were able to ask any question that they had about God, you know, life, spirituality, you know, really just simply focusing on the reality of our existence and uh, I did this because I was trying to use this time to challenge them to think beyond the easy answers and to not settle for platitudes, to not settle for conclusions that don't really, well, conclude things or conclusions that just don't seem right or, you know, might seem inconsistent. And I wanted to challenge my kids to ask questions and to critically think through some things and all of this uh, served as a, a prelude to our time together taking communion. And I would, I would ask them to tell me, when it came to communion, why we do this. And every answer they gave, I then would ask them to just to go a level deeper. You know, they might say, for instance, we do this because Jesus died for us. And so then I might reply by saying, so what does that mean? I mean, why? why? What does that have to do with me? What, has, what does that have to do with this? And then they might say, because God loves us, right? Then I might respond with, well, what does that have to do with this? They, they, they said things like, so that we could live or because he died for our sins. And a list of other things are key phrases that we use when generalizing communion. And uh, this, is, this, this is what happens with uh, rituals or traditions. Now, this generalizing of things. We come up with these phrases, right? right. I'm not, and I'm not saying that they're bad and I, that I don't like traditions or rituals, but we figure out ways to sum them up with these phrases that we repeat over and over again. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, for those people who understand the backstory, who understand what's behind the phrases. Uh, we, and we, we pass on these summarizations, though. And when I believe what we really are handing down is the form of the tradition and not necessarily the why behind it all. And simply, uh, a simple way that you can test this out, okay, is by asking yourself, what's the purpose behind the thing you were accustomed to doing? And then with every answer you give, ask why. Right? If you have kids, do this to your children. Do this to your spouse. Do this to yourself. Ask someone to do it to you. You do it to someone. And then you continue to ask yourself 
the you know what and why until you get to the deeper meaning and and when you're doing this don't settle for summary statements and platitudes and easy answers think through things like you like you're talking to someone who do, who knows nothing and, and dig into why you do what you do and you, you might actually begin to discover like what you actually believe and then one question can lead to the next and you just simply follow follow the trail so for example you might ask why do we take communion and you know you can lead off with a number of answers uh, you might say well because Jesus commanded or because it's a reminder of his death and depending on your answer you might ask well why did he command it or did he even command it where's that at why do I believe that? And why did he command it? Or, or why do I need to remember his death? And then these might lead to further questions like, so why did he die? Or why death? Like, why did he have, have to die? And now, uh, the typical answers might sound like, well, because we're sinners or because of our sins. And, you know, and then to this, I would say, okay. But what does that mean? And, and how does that all fit into the narrative? You see, uh, the questions can lead to answers. And the answers, or really attempted answers in many ways, can lead to more questions. And doing this has led me and my girls and my wife down some interesting paths and interesting conversations. And I've been doing this for a lifetime here. Um, but with my children and my wife, you know, it's, it really has led us to some interesting places. You know, for instance, I have asked, you know, it's led me to a place where I was able to ask my children, how is Jesus dying for me? How is that love? And what does this say about God and God being love if Jesus had to die? Right now, answer that. No. It took some time to get to that point, but it was a process of thinking through things and digging up reasons and purposes for doing things. And it helped us to bring to the surface something more meaningful. It was like we started to unpack these phrases to discover what was meant by them. And in doing so, we discovered more phrases to unpack and explore it's a, it's an exercise in critically thinking through some things so that we're not just simply going around repeating phrases we have always heard because we think they are the right answers or they're the right things to say and i, I think i think it can help us make some real sense of what we believe and why which i think is important because well, honestly, you might, you might find that when you step back and explore what you believe and why, you might actually realize that it doesn't make much sense. And like I know there have been times where for me, when I have worked through a concept or a belief, and it left me saying, like, wow, really? Like, that's, that's what we're saying. That makes no sense. And I, I can give you examples, but I'll save that for another time. No, I... I I will tell you that doing this doesn't necessarily help you answer all the questions you might have. I, I think in order to do this and make progress, you have to be okay with uncertainty and mystery. Okay, the 
the purpose of doing things like this is not so that we can be certain. It is so that we can think through and understand what's behind what we do as disciples of Jesus. It's, it's so that we can keep the focus and emphasis more on the why and not so much on the how. And ironically, when you have a, a greater understanding of the why, the how or the practice, uh, the tradition will, or the ritual will be more meaningful. But it never, never let the practice outshine the why. Right? Like, so remember this principle Jesus used when he said, the student is never greater than the teacher. Now, the student might become greater than the teacher when they are no longer the student. But as long as they are the student to the teacher, they will never be greater. Right? It's, it's why they're a student. And the teacher is the teacher. Now, the teacher informs the student and the student doesn't inform the teacher. And in the same way, the why, the purpose, always informs the how, the tradition, the ritual. The tradition doesn't inform the meaning or the purpose, the why, right? It actually comes from them. And, and sometimes it has to look different, right? But just because it looks different doesn't mean it doesn't serve the same purpose. And if anyone showed this to us clearly, it was Jesus. It is the reason he was accused of violating tradition. Now, while he may have violated tradition, he kept in focus the greater cause or purpose. And we can do the same. And so while you're not able to maybe come together face-to-face in your church community. Maybe you've had to adapt to doing things online or from distances or, or just in completely different ways. And it doesn't feel right, right? It's not the same. Of course it's not. Of course it's not. But listen, listen. Don't allow the form, the tradition, the ritual to overpower the why, to cause you to forget the why behind it. Because when you focus on the why, various ways of how to participate, to remind, to reflect, to engage in these things, those things will come. So we can do the same. And listen, the apostles and the disciples in the first century and even centuries thereafter had to make some major changes to the way they did things. They had to adapt and, and, and progress with the circumstances around them. And, and they did. And we know it was difficult. We know, it, we know it was difficult. The New Testament is filled with letters helping them navigate the difficulties that they were having with these changes. And so, your church community is not gathering in the same way. Maybe they're not gathering at all. Maybe they are and things just look different. It feels different. And just because this might be the case... It doesn't mean the church is closed. That's the uniqueness of the church. You can be the church anywhere you are, anywhere you go. And sure, I know it might not seem the same or feel the same, but it's much easier to adapt 
when you focus on the why. And it's much harder when you only focus on the how. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must focus on the why. I believe that is what helps us to walk closer.